I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Joining us today is Erica Newsom-Hill, who is the Director of Player Engagement for the Atlanta Hawks. Erica, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Erica, you studied exceptional education at the University of Central Florida. What led you to study sports management? Well, I think uh, when I was at UCF, I was an, uh, an education major, but I had the chance to work in the athletic department and assist with stats for the basketball team. And that led me to um, work with the Orlando Magic on game nights to help out with their stats department. Some of the people from UCF also worked at you know, the Orlando Magic. So I got a chance to meet some of the people that worked for the Magic. And I really um, found it interesting what they do. And I like that environment and that atmosphere. And I thought, you know, maybe um, I w- might want to look at working in sports. Um, my brother had also, uh, he played college basketball and he was working on his master's in sports management at the same time. So I talked to him about it, you know, asked him what are some of his classes, what are some of his um, aspirations once he finished. So, um, from there, I just decided, you know what, I think I want to pivot this. This really looks like something that I um, might be interested in. So after I graduated, I decided to go to St. Thomas University and uh, to get my uh, master's in sports administration. Now, walk the listeners through your professional career journey. Okay, so um, while I was at St. Thomas University, I had to intern. And so I got an, my first internship with the um, Miami Heat. And I interned there for a year for free, wasn't making any money. And I can't remember, I can't even think back to how I paid my bills. This is so long ago, but I just remember it was an unpaid internship. But um, obviously I, I did a pretty good job there because I ended up uh, getting hired on full time. So I stayed um with the Miami Heat for about six years as a community relations coordinator and the manager. Um, I left and I, I, I worked with um, the Heat on um, all their community outreach initiatives. And so um, I left there and went to Orlando, back to Orlando for about a year and worked with um the Ike Austin Foundation um, as the executive director. And so um, at the time, Ike Austin played for the Orlando Magic. So I worked with him 
for about a year, but then he ended up getting traded. And so at that point I had to decide, okay, do I go back to Miami? What do I do? Because I'm out of a job. Um, my sister at the time lived in Atlanta. And so I decided to move to Atlanta and just take a leap of faith. And I went up to Atlanta and um, I had some friends up there who worked in PR and met with them. And I ended up getting a job at a, a small boutique PR firm called Roy Communications doing consumer PR. So I said, let me get this, give this a try. Um, I had a little bit of experience when I worked with the Heat and, and doing public relations. So it was a good fit for me. Um, I stayed there for, you know, not even quite a year because we ran into some issues there with um, with that company um, going. They, they ended up going out of business. So but I was luckily um, able to land a job with Porter Novelli PR. And that that was a major uh, PR firm in Atlanta. So I worked there as media relations manager for about four years. And then um, the opportunity to uh, interview for the Atlanta Braves came about in at that time, I had been out of sports for about four years, so I um, really had the itch to get back in sports. I missed it because that was my passion. So interviewed for the Braves job, ended up getting that in 2004 and actually stayed with the Braves for 14 long years, uh, much to my surprise. Um you know, lo loved every minute of it, enjoyed my job there as director of community affairs and executive director of the Braves Foundation. Stayed, so I stayed there for 14 years and then um, got to a point in my career where I was like, I'm ready to do something different. And um, so I was looking uh you know, looking around to see, do I want to maybe get out of sports again and get back into corporate, maybe do corporate community relations? Wasn't really sure. Just kind of looking around and the opportunity with the Hawks fell into my lap. Um, I interviewed for that opportunity as director of player engagement. And um, here I am today, still in that position. And this is my fourth season now with the Hawks. Now, listeners, you will notice that before she got the job at the Miami Heat, she actually worked for free for the Miami Heat. So sometimes yep. to get in the door, you have to take an unpaid position and prove yourself. Absolutely. Um, and, and nowadays, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of these internships pay. They have uh, training positions and, um, you know, different internships. So they might be paid. I don't know if they do many unpaid internships, but, you know, if if, if you want something bad enough, you just have to do what you got to do um, to make it happen. So I worked for a whole year unpaid. What types of programs did you manage for the Miami Heat? Um, some of the programs were, um, you know, a lot of educational programs, reading, working with the schools, youth basketball programs. Um, I also at one point in my um, in my role with them, I coordinated the um, the national anthems and the halftime acts as well. So that was interesting. Yeah, I bet that was. <laughs> yeah. Then what types of skill sets? do people need to develop to work in those types of community programs? Um, you know, you have to really, um, let's see, to, to work with the community programs, you have to build good relationships with the different entities in the community. A lot, a lot of this is about 
building relationships. So, you know, in addition to being able to write, um, you know, ask questions, being persistent, being creative, uh, you really have to build relationships and you have to keep your ear to the ground to know what's going on in your community and where there's a need so you can determine who is in need and who you're going to help. Gotcha. And how important were those community outreach programs to the success of the HEAT organization? I mean, they were they were very important, you know, like any community program for for all of the different organizations I've worked with. You know, it you, the, you want to make a mark um, for your organization in the community. So, I mean, developing these programs is very important so that um the community in which you live, work, and play, they understand that your organization cares about that community. So all of these community importance are very important because they, you know, people, the community wants to know, you know, if we're supporting you, then they want to know that you're supporting them. And so you want to do that in, in various ways, which includes giving back financially, um, through your foundation programs or through the different uh, youth athletic programs, which might be baseball, football, basketball, whichever sport you're in. But, you know, the community wants to know that you support them and that you're giving back because they're supporting you as well. What types of clients did you work with at Porta Novelli and what specifically did you do for the clients? So I had a lot of different clients, um, Throughout my four years there, I worked in the consumer division. I worked healthcare, technology, all of those different divisions um, I worked with. And so some of my clients were like, I worked with Hewlett Packard um, at one point, Spencer Stewart. They are a, um, a search firm. I created a diversity roundtable for them where we had um, the chief, uh, about 10 chief diversity officers in Atlanta. Uh, we we uh, created a roundtable for them so they could come together and uh, discuss best practices in the um, you know in the area of, of diversity and inclusion. Um, I worked with Blimpy, the um, the sub shop. I remember um, creating a program for them where we traveled around the southeast and the Midwest um, promoting Blimpy sandwiches. Uh, some of the other clients that um, I recall. Um, GE, uh, GE General Electric, we did a team with us play to win. And so that I would through that, I was able to utilize my sports experience. Um, we, uh, it was a national program where we visited different sporting venues around the country and, uh, engaged, uh, GE clients and employees. Cool. And that's just to name a few. I had a lot of different clients, but just those areas, healthcare, technology, and consumer goods were the main areas that I worked in. And what additional skills did you have to have to be successful with media relations? You know, in media relations, number one, you have to know how to write. That's going to be crucial because there's a lot of writing. You're writing press releases, you're writing plans, you're writing pitches to media to get them to cover your clients. Um, you have to be able to uh, be strategic and, and think, um, put together strategies for your clients. 
on on how they're going to you know roll out a product or or how they're going to conduct their um, media outreach. Um, you have to be creative uh, because when you're working with clients, you know they want all sorts of different programs and events and activities to promote their products. Uh, you have to be persistent, especially with pitching media. Um, you want to get your product or your client placed in the media and you might have to pitch uh, multiple sources and you're not always going to get a yes. So you have to be persistent and just keep at it and, and be creative in your pitch and, and your approach and how you want to get your clients covered. Now, unfortunately, bad things happen. So what do young professionals need to know in order to be good at working with clients with crisis management? You know, I think with crisis management, um, you really have to be have a good head on your shoulders and be skilled when it comes to decision making. I would say, at you know, at the drop of a dime, um, you have to have good judgment and be able to make these judgment calls and to stand on your decisions. Communication is key. It, all involved in the crisis, you have to have communication. You have to over communicate, I would say. And you just really have to be, um, you know, agile and be able to pivot. And w- when you need to, um, when, when a crisis arrives, you have to be ready. You got to be on your toes because you never know which way it which way it's going to take you. And you got to realize that you won't have all of the answers, but if you can, if you can pivot and you can make these decisions and make a judgment calling and and stay calm and communicate, I think that um, that will help anybody in the area of crisis management. That's great advice. Now, what is the role of the Braves Foundation and how is it associated with the baseball team? So the Braves Foundation is the the grant making arm or the nonprofit arm of the Atlanta Braves team. And so the role of the foundation is really to give back to the community in various ways um, and to help those, you know, help those in need really through um, financial uh, grant making. Um, When I was with the foundation, we we raised a, a lot. We raised millions of dollars and turned around and poured that money back into the community. And how did you get comfortable asking people for money? You know, we, um, I would say the way that we fundraise was through a lot of activities. So, you know, the, the Braves is the number one baseball team in the Southeast. Um, so it wasn't that difficult to fundraise because we did it in creative ways. We had our 50-50 raffle where the fans would come and buy raffle tickets and a portion of the proceeds would go back. They'd go to the winner of the ticket and the other half would go to the foundation. We uh, hosted a lot of auctions, luncheons, galas, things like that that made people want to participate. And we always made sure that they knew what the money was going to and that it was going to enrich the community. So um, when, when you're fundraising for a sports team, you know, you have to put together a lot of different programs and find ways in which people will want to donate. And they, they typically do, because as long as they know that the team is 
giving back to the community and helping and they see where the money's going, they, people typically don't mind participating in those things. So what are some of the community programs that benefit from that money? So some of the community programs that benefited was YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, uh, various youth baseball programs that uh, that reach out to children in disadvantaged areas. Uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta was a, as a grantee of uh, the Atlanta Braves Foundation. Different educational programs, the school systems, you name it, lots of um Lots of programs and organizations in the areas of health, education, and recreation benefited from the funds being raised by the Braves Foundation. That's great. With the Atlanta Hawks, what are your duties? So with the Hawks, I am the director of player engagement. So I work directly with the players and the coaches, as well as their families, in terms of helping them put together strategies for community outreach. I assist them with marketing, assist them with PR. I'm more of the, also the liaison between the basketball operations and the business side as well. So I work closely with the business side when they need to utilize players and coaches for organizational purposes, whether it be marketing, PR, community outreach. And again, and I mentioned I work with their families as well. Uh, I also run the Lady Hawks group, which is made up of the the wives, the moms, and significant others of the players and coaches and basketball operations staff. And the Lady Hawks do a lot of community outreach as well. So I coordinate that as well. Describe an average day for the listeners. Geez, an average day, you know, in Player engagement, there, there's no two days are the same. Um, I work at, a, at the Hawks practice facility. So the way our organization is made up, the basketball operations side that consists of players, coaches, trainers, we are in practice facility probably about 20 minutes from the arena. The business side, they work about two blocks from the arena. So we're in a different area. So I come to the practice facility every day. Usually the team, uh, they start coming, arriving maybe about nine o'clock between nine and 10. They practice at 11. But in between that time, I'm usually meeting with the different players when I get a chance just to talk about their upcoming obligations, which might be community outreach appearances. Uh, It might be an interview they need to do, a video they need to shoot, usually working with them on that. They go to, while they're at practice, that's when I get a chance to come back to my office and, you know, do office work that I need to do, emails and different things like that, working with the other, um, with the folks on the business side. And then normally they get out of practice about one, then we Myself and uh, the person, the other person in my department, we regroup with the players and coaches again on anything we need to do. But at the same time, um, we might have an appearance after practice. So we will usually set up transportation for them, either ride with them or meet them down to their appearance. Like last year, last week, we did an appearance at a fire station where we installed basketball hoops for the seven com- commemorating 
the 75th anniversary of the NBA. So we had to get a couple of players out there and participate in that. And that probably took about two hours. And then at the same time, we had another player going to another appearance. So really coordinating all these players going in different directions. And they're not doing appearances every day, but there's always something that they need that needs to be done. It might be after practice, we might have to grab them and go into our studio to do some sort of video that they may need to do. Uh, so it's just, you know, it, it's very fluid. There's different things every day. Some days when the, when the guys are on the road, I'll be here at the office where we, you know, where I'll be working on the next appearance that they have to do or the next project. Or if you have a guy, if it's around, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, I'll have to work with their agents to talk about, okay, uh, you know, this player wants to give out uh, toys for Christmas. Let me find the organization or, you know, here's a few organizations that would be good to work with. And so I'll work with their agents on helping to set that up and different things like that. And then if it's a game day, we'll usually leave here probably around two or three o'clock and head down to the arena and get ready for the game. We also have our, um, again, I mentioned I work with the families. So we have like a family area that we need to, that we oversee and the families come and they have dinner and the kids come and we have different activities for them as well too during the game. So no two days are the same, um, but that's the fun thing about it. It's, it's not a desk job and it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's enjoyable. It keeps me busy. It keeps me on my toes. For those that are interested in working in a similar role, what do they need to do to be competitive for jobs? Entering into the sports business, you know, a lot of it again is about relationships that you build knowledge of the industry. I would, um, I think that, when you're just starting out in the sports industry, I think it's important to not just focus on one specific sport. I think it's good to cast a wide net because if you want to work in marketing in sports, marketing in baseball, basketball, football, hockey, it's all the same. The sport might be different, but the concept is the same. So Cast a wide net, look at the different sports, build your relationships. Don't be afraid to, uh, you know, email, reach out to people at these different organizations that you might be interested. You know, make sure you're reading the, the trade publications and and websites and things like that and looking to see who's doing what out there and reach out to those people, follow and see what they're doing. But I also tell a lot of students, too, when you're in college, get experience on your resume. Go work for in the summer. Go work for a baseball team. Go work on their promotions department. You might want to sell tickets, um, you know, whatever jobs that they have. You might be an usher, but get that experience. Uh, there's different organizations in Atlanta, like the Atlanta Track Club. They do races all year long. They're always looking for volunteers and people to help out. Go volunteer and get that experience wherever you can so that when you do look for a true internship or a job, that those things will be on your resume. And that way, the company that you're looking at will see that, OK, they have some sort of knowledge of what working in sports and events is like. Because that's what that's really what people look for. They want to know that you that 
you understand this world. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of long hours. And, you know, it's not your typical nine to five. It'll never be your typical nine to five. And once you get that experience, they will understand that you know what that's about. Because a lot of people, they they think it's like glitz and glamour. And, oh, they see the glamorous. They see, you know, the Trey Young on, on the, at the basketball games and the people in the sitting courtside and, oh, it looks so glamorous. And they don't realize there's a lot of work that goes into putting these events on behind the scenes. And that includes early mornings, late nights. In baseball, you know, we worked, we may have seven games in a row. And I, you know, I would go to work at nine o'clock and wouldn't get off till 11. And that would be seven to 10 days in a row. And a lot of people don't see that. But once you start getting that experience, if you're in college, go to your um, athletic department and ask them, how can you help? How can, can you volunteer? Can you pass out flyers? Can you help set up? Uh, for an event for your, not just your basketball team or your football team, but go help out with softball, go help out with hockey, uh, soccer, those sports that a lot of people don't think about, but at least you're getting the the, uh, experience in working in those areas. That's great advice. Now, how has being a woman impacted your ability to be successful within professional team sports? You know, I don't really think it's impacted me um, in much of a way. You know, it's again, I keep going. It's about relationships and how you carry yourself. You know, being a woman gives me a different perspective when I'm sitting around the table and it's it's a it's a table full of men and they have one perspective and I have another. You know, being a diverse woman gives me even another um, perspective. You know, Um, I think, too, just being a woman. I can, it helps me to relate to in my current job, working with the moms of the players, the wives of the players, that has helped me a lot, you know, relatability. Um, But I just think that, you know, relationships, again, it all goes back to that and how you carry yourself and how you, how you work with people. Now, getting to those relationships, coming out of COVID and us having been removed from in-person contact for so long, how do you suggest aspiring sports administrators develop these relationships? You know, I mean, I've always said, I mentioned a little bit ago that when you, you follow, follow these people, go on LinkedIn, see who they are, what they're doing, look at their backgrounds, send them an email, ask them for a 10 minute informational call and uh, some, you know, see if they'll get on the phone with you. Most people will, they'll take the time to, to talk to you um, and, and kind of, you know, 10, 15 minute quick call. They will take the time. I would also say now that now that we're coming out of COVID and things are starting to open up and more things are going back on. One of the things that I tell students is that if, if you can, Try and go to NBA Summer League. That's where all the executives are. Try and set up a meeting before you before you get there. Uh, email email some of the folks to see if they're going to be there and see if they have ten minutes to meet with you so you can meet face to face. Let them know who you are. Keep in touch with them after you meet them. Uh, the, same with MLB. You know, Super Bowl, those type of things. That's where you're going to find all the executives, um, major league baseball has their winter meetings. That's a good place to go and make connections with. Uh, they send all of their HR reps from every team to their winter meetings. 
So that's a good opportunity to go and meet these people. And again, you reach out to them in advance, let them know you're going to be there, go to the trade shows that they have, put a, you know, let them put a name with a face and start um, creating those, establishing those relationships in that way. But you have to, you have to get creative. You know, you have to, um, you can't just sit on a computer and look at the job websites all day. You got to get creative and, and, and meet, meet folks. And again, now that things are opening up within the different cities, get out there, go to those events and see who you can meet and establish those relationships. What has been your biggest career challenge and how did you overcome it? You know, I think about when I first moved to Atlanta and I worked with um, that first boutique PR firm and I was there for a couple months and I remember that um, they were having problems paying us and Uh-oh. the red light went on and I was like, oh, no, this is not going to work when, you know, we're as soon as we get our check, we're running to the bank to deposit it, you know, but they were having some issues. And that's when I kind of said to myself, OK, I don't want to go down with the ship. Let me start putting my fillers out there and get a, you know, and see what else I can find. So luckily I did land a job um, at Porter Novelli and Right when I left, the company closed down, uh, which left a lot of people in a bind. So that was um, that was a challenge for me. That's good timing. <laughs> it was it was definitely good timing. But I think just, you know, through the different different roles that I've had, you know, I've had I've had challenges uh, within my roles. Um, I remember when I was at the Braves, when I first got there, uh, we had a. Uh, the Braves had committed to building a youth baseball academy. So when I got there, they were like, you know, it's yours, get it built. And I didn't quite, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but uh, I, you know, met with MLB, met with some of the, the players on the team, was able to gather, get the money. It was a multi-million dollar project. So I was able to get the money donated by different players on the team and major league baseball. And we were able to get the, uh, the Braves Youth Baseball Academy built out at the uh, Carver YMCA. That's great. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to young Erica when she started her career? Say that uh, when I started my career, find as many mentors in different areas of sports that that I could have, you know, I, I did have mentors, but looking back, you know, I probably, probably should have got more. You can never have too many mentors. And I would also say, get, get more experience in different areas. I started out in community relations and, um, you know, ultimately I'm kind of still in community relations, but I would say when you first get in sports, try the different areas. That's why those trainee programs are important because some of them let you jump around to different departments, but you know, you might want to try sales, you might want to try ticket sales, corporate sales, PR, jump around and, and try and get as much experience as you can so that you don't end up per se pigeonhole per se in the same area. You want to get as much experience as you can and learn as much. Now it's overtime. What book do you think aspiring sports administrators should read and why? 
You know what? I think that when it comes, when a book comes to mind, I think that this book uh, would actually help anybody, not just a sports administrator, but um, lean in. I think that was a great book um, in helping to foster leadership and advancement and inclusion, especially for women in the workplace. So I I think that's a good book for for anybody, not just sports administrators. Who's the author? Pardon? Who's the author? Oh, um, Cheryl Sandberg. Okay. Yeah. What app can you not live without and why? Um... Well, I have to say, personally, probably Facebook. <laughs> Keep in touch. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's interesting because I do have a few friends who are not on Facebook. And I'm like, I like Facebook because it lets you keep in touch with people that you haven't seen in years, you know, um, high school friends, college friends, post-college friends. So Facebook, I find myself on that a lot, even though the young people say that's for old people. That's what I'm my daughter tells me. They say yeah. we broke Facebook. But I also say LinkedIn too. I'm on LinkedIn a lot, you know, professionally. That's the the app to go to is, is LinkedIn to find out what's going on in your industry, where are different people working, you know, What are they doing? Trends and different things like that. And what is your go-to inspirational quote? So my go-to inspirational quote is not necessarily by a famous person. It's by uh, my um, former professor at St. Thomas. Her name was um, Dr. Jan Bell. And, And I learned this from her. And I always tell people, especially students when I'm talking to them, Uh, you know, when they say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, Dr. Bell took it a step further. It's not what you know. It's not who you know. It's who knows you. And I think that is is very key because you need to be as you establish yourself. People need to know who you are in the industry so you can help so they can help you get to where you need to go. That is great advice. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, Erica. This has been great information. And uh, I enjoy speaking with you. So hopefully what I've had to say helps somebody in the industry, you know, get to where they want to go. Best of luck to you and the Hawks. Thank you. Best of luck to you, too. Okay. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.